17. Uh, that's on page 1113 in the Church Bibles. So, reading from verse 1 about Paul's second missionary journey. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. Everyone, it's uh, great to be with you. And uh, before I forget, I bring greetings from Golston Church. Um, If you have no idea what Golson Church is, uh, it's a a daughter church of Bishop Hannington. We've been going for about 27 years. We meet at Golson Primary School, uh, which is just down the road, Elm Drive. um, And uh, you are all welcome whenever you want to. Um, And uh, for your prayers, please. uh, I know you're meeting small groups for prayers on Wednesday. Um, Next uh, weekend, uh, three of us from uh, the Golson congregation are going to Bulgaria on a mission trip. Uh, We're meeting with a church in North Bulgaria in a a town called Vidin, um, and we are meeting with that congregation. It's actually three congregations all coming together for their very first away day together on the Saturday, um, and uh, we are joining with them in that celebration. So we would uh, appreciate your prayers as we go on that trip and uh, to continue the development of our relationship with this with our fellow brothers and sisters in Bulgaria. Um, I'm just aware that uh, there is a formula, isn't there, for a perfect sermon. Someone has told me there is a perfect formula. um, And a perfect sermon has a very good beginning, a very good ending, and having those two items very close together. So uh, I'm going to try my best this evening. Let's start with a prayer. Let's uh, pray together. Dear Lord, Help us now as we reflect on your word. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives to what you want to say to us through this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you uh, put the PowerPoint on, please? It's not on there for some reason. I do. Oh, right. Ah! problem exists between the chair and the table. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Where was I? Oh, yes. 
Um, I have a theory, um, a rather strange theory, a theory that everyone who has a mobile phone, especially a smartphone, everyone has at least one strange app on your phone, um, an odd one. Um, I'm not talking about games. That this is, that's a completely different subject altogether. No, these apps on your mobile phone will be unusual and they will tell you something about the person who owns the phone. Now, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had our BH staff away day. And as we were crossing to the Isle of Wight on the ferry, Phil, Phil Moon, was uh, looking at his phone. And uh, he looked up suddenly and pointed to a big ship and told us how big it was and where it had come from and when it had arrived. And he got all that from a strange maritime app on his phone. And if you know anything about Phil, then you'll know that that sort of app is perfectly understandable for Phil, isn't it? Now, I confess that my unusual app on my phone is called Country's Bean. Uh, as, has, as the name suggests, this keeps track of all the countries and cities that I have visited. In fact, earlier this year, we went to Portugal. And one of the reasons for going was so that I could tick that name off my list. <laughs> now you know how sad I can be. I'm guessing that by now you're wondering where I'm going with this and how this phone app relates to the Bible passage that we're looking at this evening of Acts 17, 1 to 9. Well, the book of Acts is an account of the spreading of the gospel across the different countries of the world. In his first book, the, uh, the Gospel of Luke, the author, Dr. Luke, shows what Jesus Christ began to do on earth. And in the book of Acts, the Luke's second book, he shows what Jesus continued to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. The book records the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. One of the key characters in the book of Acts is the apostle Paul. And we see how the Holy Spirit worked through Paul to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Generally speaking, the Apostle Peter went to the Jews and the Apostle Paul went to the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews. And the second half of the book of Acts is a bit like a travel guide. And it includes the names of many cities that don't exist anymore. And the reason for the travel guide is because it records the three missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul made through Asia Minor, which is our modern-day Turkey and Greece. In Acts chapter 17, 1 to 9, the Apostle Paul was in the middle of his second missionary journey. On this trip, he has already traveled across Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and as Acts 16, uh, verse 12 says, Paul had arrived at Philippi, where he had stayed several days. And it was a, a busy few days, because during that time, Paul and Silas, his traveling companion, well, they ended up in prison. Why? 
because they had preached the gospel. And after a night in jail, Paul and Silas were released and told to leave the city. And so they moved on from Philippi, traveling along the Via Egnatia, one of the Roman roads, which was an essential part of the infrastructure of the Roman Empire at that time. So in one way, these opening verses of Acts chapter 17 are just another episode in the Apostle Paul's long missionary journey. But as I've been reflecting on these verses, I have realized that they provide some significant Christian principles for us today. Firstly, we need to look at the location. The location. Verse 1 and 2 tells us where Paul and his companions are. It says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. Just to give some perspective, the distance from Philippi to Thessalonica was about a hundred miles. And the two other cities that are mentioned here, Amphipolis and Apollonia, were probably places where they stayed along the way. But it seems clear that the Apostle Paul's main focus was to reach Thessalonica. And this makes sense. At that time, Thessalonica was the capital city of the district of Macedonia. Um, and, uh, 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 it, uh, and it was the most prosperous city in that region. More, most significantly, Thessalonica was a major port. So it was a key transport link through the Roman Empire, either by road along the Via Egnatia, or across the Aegean Sea. If a church could be established in Thessalonica, then the gospel could spread out from there to other areas. But where do you start when you arrive at a new city? Do I have a picture of a map? Yes, I do have a map, yeah. Thessalonica. Where do you start when you arrive in a new city? As a Jew, the Apostle Paul started where every Jew would start, at the local Jewish synagogue. But he didn't go to the synagogue just to worship with fellow Jews. Paul went to share about the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a true story of a a pastor in America who moved to a new church in a different city, a different part of the country. And very quickly, the pastor realized that the men in the community were not coming to church. Then quite out of the blue, the pastor was invited to a social event, wait for it, at the gun club, where most of the men were members. Well, very hesitantly, the pastor went to the event and introduced himself into the social setting. But then one of the men suddenly asked him, can you shoot a gun? 
Well, the pastor cautiously explained that uh, he had used an air rifle as a teenager, but as a minister had not held a gun for many years. But before he knew it, the pastor was standing at the shooting range in the club and was given a very powerful handgun. All the men in the gun, in the gun club watched as the pastor took aim, all of them ready to laugh when he missed. The pastor gave a silent prayer, took aim and pulled the trigger. And the room was silent as everyone saw that he had hit the bullseye. From that moment on, the men accepted the pastor and he was able to share the gospel with these men. But without a gun in his hand, obviously. At Golson Church, our motto verse for this year comes from 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now this might sound a little strange, but there are several similarities between Brighton and Hove and Thessalonica. We live in a prosperous coastal city. Okay, so Chichester might argue that they are the capital city of Sussex, but Brighton and Hove is probably has more visitors and is possibly better known throughout the country and maybe even the world. Today, as Christians, we have a golden opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our community and also with those visitors that are passing through our city and our neighborhood. Now, this challenge is far-reaching. At whatever occasion, are we ready, are we prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us about why we have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ? Are we ready? The location, and secondly, we see the proclamation. The proclamation. It's interesting that although only a few details are mentioned in these nine verses, Luke includes what Paul did and said when he visited the synagogue. Verse 2, the end of verse 2. On three Sabbath days, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Bible scholars say that the custom in Jewish synagogues at that time was to allow Jews from other areas to speak and to share at their meetings. And we know from Acts 22 verse 3 that the Apostle Paul had been trained by Gamaliel, a well-known and a well-respected Jewish rabbi. So Paul would have had an extra welcome at the synagogue in Thessalonica. But notice the ways that Paul spoke on those occasions. Firstly, Paul reasoned. He reasoned, literally, to talk things through. This was a discussion. In other words, Paul presented an Old Testament passage about the Messiah, and then together 
they would dialogue and they would discuss what was being said in some form of question and answer session. Secondly, Paul explained. It says that in verse 3. Literally, this means to open the mind, to expound by teaching and learning. And clearly, this is different from a discussion. This is one person teaching others. It's one-directional. Significantly, this is the same Greek word that was used to describe what Jesus did when he taught the two men on the road to Emmaus, which we read in Luke 24:32. This is the opening of the mind to what the Bible says. And thirdly, Paul proved, literally, to provide evidence, to verify. We would say verifiable evidence. Essentially, Paul laid out what the Old Testament said about the Messiah, and then he showed the verified evidence about Jesus. And then he matched the facts to what the prophets had said, making the connection that Jesus was the Messiah. And as I was reflecting on these three ways that Paul spoke to the Jews, I wondered, I I do that a lot, you can tell, I wondered what Bible passages Paul used to speak about the Messiah. These verses had to be in the Old Testament because at that stage the New Testament hadn't been written. And sadly, Luke doesn't give us this level of detail. But Bible scholars have provided some helpful suggestions. Suggestions of what passages he could have been used. Here are three passages that Paul may have used to speak about the coming Messiah. Firstly, Genesis 22. We looked at this passage a few weeks ago. When Abraham is instructed by God to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Genesis 22, verse 13 and 14 says, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. God will provide a sacrificial offering for his people. The Messiah is on his way. Another passage which could have been used is Psalm 22. Now we need to remember that on the cross, Jesus quoted the opening words from Psalm 22, verse 1. And in Jewish tradition, by quoting the start of a psalm, All the remaining verses of that psalm are implied, and they should be included. So when Jesus quoted verse 1 of Psalm 22, he was actually referring to the whole psalm. By the way, if you want a bit of homework, read and study Psalm 22 in the context of Jesus on the cross. I guarantee it will be time well spent. But let me highlight just three verses out of Psalm 22. Verse 16, 17, and 18. 
It says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. King David, the author of this psalm, prophetically describes the shame and the agony of Jesus. Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, the son of God. And the third passage I would suggest is Isaiah 53. This passage is often described as a prophecy of the suffering servant or the suffering Messiah. Verse 3, 4, and 5 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The last verse of that chapter ends with, he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is why Jesus, God's only son, lived and died and rose again. So that the punishment for our sins could be taken away and placed on his shoulders. I am told that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies spoken by different voices over 500 years. And that includes 29 major prophecies that were fulfilled on one day, the day that Jesus died. This was why Paul says in Acts 17 verse 3, This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. This was a reasoned, explained, and a proven declaration that Jesus is who he says he is. Today, as Christians, we are called to declare this message to our friends and our families and our community. Are we ready? The location, the proclamation, and lastly, the repercussion. The repercussion. Verse 4 and 5 records how the people of Thessalonica reacted to what Paul shared with them. It says, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. History tells us that when the good news of Jesus Christ is shared with people, there are two responses. Firstly, people accept the truth. The original Greek word translated as persuaded in this verse also means to believe and to have faith. It is to have a trust and a confidence that what has been said is the truth 
and to live in the complete assurance of that message. But we need to note that this is not a debating competition. This is nothing to do how, uh, who, uh, this is nothing to do with who we are and how we speak. It is all about God's word. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5 says, the Apostle Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. In other words, when people are persuaded, it is a response to the truth of God in their lives. And the truth is this, John 3:16. God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son so that whoever believes and trusts in him as their savior shall not perish but have eternal life. The second reaction is that people reject the truth. And yes, this is a similar response that uh, the Apostle Paul encountered in other cities. And note that this was not just a shouting match. This was intimidation and physical aggression. The non-believers formed a mob, which included some muscle from the local marketplace, who had probably been hired in for the purpose. What is worse is that the people who organized the mob were synagogue-attending Jews. They wanted to keep working for their salvation. They were so caught up in their system of religion that they refused to let go. They refused to accept the truth that through faith in Jesus Christ, they were saved, saved by grace, not by works. The real fight was not with Paul. The fight was a rejection of the salvation that comes through Jesus. Today, as Christians, we are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and to share his message of salvation to those that we meet. And when we share this truth, we need to be ready for a response one way or the other. If it is a positive response, then let us rejoice. But if it is a negative response, we need to continue, as Ephesians 4.15 says, we need to continue speaking the truth in love. The location, the proclamation, the repercussion. There's a story of an old man walking along the beach at dawn. Ahead of him, he noticed a young man picking up starfish and throwing them into the sea. Catching up with the youth, the old man asked, what are you doing? And the young man explained that the stranded starfish would die if they were left in the morning sun. But the beach goes on for miles and miles, and there are millions of starfish, argued the old man. How can your effort make any difference? The young man looked at the starfish in his hand and threw it into the waves. It made a difference for that one. 
I do not apologize for reminding us again of the familiar words at the end of the book of Matthew. We need to have these verses constantly at the front of our Christian lives. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. Be sure of this. I am with you always even to the end of the age. As disciples, as followers of Jesus, we are called to tell it like Paul. We are called to declare the good news of Jesus Christ in our location. We are called to reason and explain and prove the proclamation that Jesus is who he says he is. And we are called to be ready for the repercussions of people responding to the truth, either positively or negatively. This is our mandate. This is God's calling to us. Tell it like Paul. How will we respond this evening? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for speaking to us through your word this evening. May the things that you have revealed and the thoughts that we have shared, may they stay in our hearts and stir us into action. Help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to see others as you see them and to speak to others as you would want to speak to them. And help us to live our lives wholeheartedly for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.